Can I just ask you, what? when are the Indigo Girls going to get the documentary they deserve? When you make it. <gasps> should I make, should we, should it be a TCO production? Sure. What, is there crime involved? There's a crime that there's not a documentary. <laughs> we need to get to the bottom of this. We'll solve the crime while, <laughs> while making the documentary. I want them to have a documentary. Okay. Closer to fine. Can we sing it? Yeah. Okay. Closer I am to fine. Yeah. What? Jillian Pensavale. <laughs> Patrick Hines. Ba-da-da. That's much more our wheelhouse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Girl, we're in the past, in the future. Mm-hmm. So you guys. We the, do that sometimes. I know. The Pride Show has happened, but we haven't, but it hasn't happened yet. No, we're a couple days away from it. Yep. And then by the time you hear this, we'll be a couple It'll days happen. from it. Yep. Uh, I'm really terrified. I know you are. I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be great too. I just, I'm. It's a 600 seat theater. We've never played anything even remotely that big. We're sold out. I know. Um, and our Patreon. Yeah. You guys, we added a seven dollar level. It's our TCO after party. Mm-hmm. And I keep forgetting to say ringtones. Ringtones. You get you saying breaking news. Oh I can't believe people. Okay. You get the rock star version and the ballad version of the Julian Pensavalli, Patrick Hines, mm-hmm. and then you also get the after show, which is where we sort of like recap our recap, or we talk about what happened with us that week. Our after party. Next week on the after party, we're going to talk all about the, the Pride show. Right. Even though it's already happened, we haven't, it hasn't happened yet for I us. Know. It's re- it's This is a very weird space to be in. I know. <laughs> and also on the Patreon, you guys, at the $5 level, you get all of our like 80 bonus episodes, episode by episode coverage of Serial, The Staircase, Making a Murderer, The Jinx, right. Lorena. Also at the $10 level, you guys, you get ad-free versions of these episodes. At the yeah. $20 level, you get VIP stuff and once a month, either we send you a thing in the mail or we, we do something digitally. Yeah, just access for you. to stuff. Yeah. Cool. We love you. Yeah. Uh, all right, should we do this? Yes. Let's do it. All right, girl. What girl, what are we doing today? It's called the Boy Band Con, the Lou Pearlman story. You guys, Boy Band Con is not like Crime Con, though I wish it was. Although Melissa and Ellie, everyone over at Mischief, if you're listening, yeah. Boy Band Con. <laughs> I know. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, so Lou Pearlman, you guys, just like an yeah. overview. Lou Pearlman was like the creator of InSync and the Backstreet Boys. Yes. He pitted them against each other and he stole all their money and he like ran to the Bahamas and <laughs> then he stole money from like these old people who had their savings. So he's a monster. Were you a, a, a boy band person? Uh, yes, I was Team Insync, but I also liked the Backstreet Boys. And to this day, I mean, they all—they each have amazing songs. I was listening to No Strings Attached, the album today. It's so funny because I was in college when Insync happened. I was in high school. Wait, for say that for when who? Insync. It's in sync. It's like, how in sync. But it's just the letter N. But they're in sync. It's not N sync. No. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, it's in sync. They're in sync. Hmm. Well, we clearly are not. <laughs> well, the boy band craze to me was this amazing time in history that changed everything. We start selling out stadiums, start selling out arenas. You see a girl pass out in front of you, and you're supposed to just keep performing. People were selling a million records a week. Like, nobody had ever seen sales like this before. And what a lot of people don't understand, the man responsible for this was Lou Perlman. The empresario behind Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Lou was head of our family. We would have dinners, we would tell him everything. This guy is the guy pioneering music on the radio. Things were going great for us. This was going to be our first check presentation. A lot of money now. This is going to be nuts. I open up the envelope. I see the check. And oh my gosh, like my heart sunk. I I couldn't believe the number I was looking at. There was this person that I had all this complete trust in. Suddenly, the carpet just got ripped out from underneath us. You sell almost 10 million albums. I could have made this much working full-time at Starbucks. Something isn't adding up. Lou's getting paid, promoters are getting paid. The deeper they dug, the worse it got. Never in a million years thought a person that I entrusted my life with could do something like this. It went from Jolly Lou to like, I don't give a about you right now. Then to find out how many other people this thing that he did affected. One of the FBI agents I did a lot of work with, he looked like he had a bank fraud case involving Lou Pearlman. Webs upon webs of robbery. Every parent is protective of their child, and I was so angry. It was all truly criminal. 
use his power and influence to try to manipulate young performers. Uh, it's not for me to decide, man. He terrorized me. If Lou didn't feel bad, then he's a monster. Lou gave us all the ability to have life today. I wonder how we could sleep at night. Lou has all the power. A man who had everything, he stole my life. Had the world in his palm of his hand. I just wanted to kiss me. I gotta take a break for a second, guys. All right? Yeah, I, I just need to. The people who are fighting me, fighting me, will be damn, damn sorry. My first line of my notes is, okay, we're 10 seconds in. Aaron Carter is sobbing. Also, who the hell is Aaron Carter? Also, what the hell is wrong with Aaron Carter? So Aaron Carter is Nick Carter's younger brother. Uh-huh. Nick Carter was like the Justin Timberlake of the Backstreet Boys. I didn't realize that Nick Carter was like the standout Backstreet Boy. Yeah, because all of the boys, you know, they each had, you know, AJ was like the bad boy for uh-huh. the Backstreet Boys. I don't know who any of them are. And then Chris Kirkpatrick <laughs> was like the AJ of NSYNC. Like, and, and Lou Pearlman devised all of this. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They each had a character and like a, like a vibe and a mood so that like there were options for uh-huh, everybody uh-huh. I was a JC girl back in the day it's funny too because in this beginning is like where we see Aaron Carter and we also see like all these random people talking there's so many people talking and I only know the gay ones yeah, right right like I only Lance know Bass. Lance Bass and Aaron Carter who like came out as bisexual a few months ago and then took it back oh did he take it back it was a misconception girl you tweeted it <laughs> Whatever. Listen, Aaron Carter is going through something. He's very aggressive. Lou gave us all the ability to have lives today. Who knows where I would have ended up, man, in in Tampa. You know? What? In jail? Aaron Carter is not well. I'm going to make fun of him a little bit. Okay. But I understand that he's not well. He's very intense. Yeah, he's very intense. And, like, Nick Carter, his older brother, won't be interviewed in this, but Aaron Carter, who, like, Lou Pearlman was like, well, your older brother sued me. I'll make you famous when you're 10 years old. Uh Uh-huh. So all your money eventually. It's very weird who is in this and who isn't. Like, Justin Timberlake's mother is in it, but not Justin Timberlake. Right, he's too big time. Joey Fatone's not in it? Yeah, what's she doing? Honestly, like, why why do you think some people said yes? I have a guess about this. What? Because we hear that one of the women from one of the women groups didn't sign a release contract at some point because it had an NDA. And I'm wondering if like Justin Timberlake in order to get out of his contract did sign an NDA. No, they, they all got out of it together. I think Justin Timberlake is like, I don't, I'm too big for you. But they're all best friends. They're all in like a text chain. Sure they are. They are. Okay. <laughs> I honestly think some people are like too mad about it. Like oh. I think a lot of people are just like, I want to move on. Like I want to make my money. I think people were really, really hurt with about what he did uh-huh. and like don't want to give this bitch the time a day. I, I think that that's why. It's weird. It's also a very well-made documentary produced by Lance Bass. It's a Lance Bass production. It says so right there. Good job, Lancey. She's in it with, his, with her mom. She, she and her mom sit down together like Oprah and Gail. It's very weird. Like four times. I love it. I'm here for a Lance Bass production. I loved it. And so we learn like how big the scene was. Like It's like this montage of all of the boy banders being like Dude, if we were performing on stage and a girl passed out, we were instructed to keep dancing. I know. Like, you never stop dancing. I know. <laughs> you just keep doing the NST, choreo. you guys. NST, never <laughs> stop dancing. You guys, you guys, you guys. <laughs> choreo. You were just, like, doing the Charleston. That's and my see, favorite. <laughs> I don't know what this move was. That wasn't it's not it. theater camp, Jillian. Like, oh, sorry. <laughs> when you're in that moment and that light is shining in your eyes, you're on top of the world. We had overtaken you 2 for the largest production in the history of touring. We have the biggest show, the biggest stage, the biggest video wall. We also see Ashley Parker Angel, who I only know who that is because he was in Wicked. But Ashley Parker Angel tells this story about like going to an audition for a boy band and like seeing Lou Pearlman and like followed him into the bathroom. Yes, I admit I was stalking Lou Pearlman into the bathroom, but I was a casual like, this is a good time to use the bathroom too. Maybe I'll get a chance to, this guy is the guy pioneering music on the radio right now. You know what I mean? He was the Barry Gordy of my generation. They keep saying that he's like the Barry Gordy of the boy band generation. Which, you know, honestly is kind of a fair comparison. Like, really, did anybody else have as big of a success in creating two bands in, like, modern history? No. It's insane. Yeah. It's in sync. There you go. I said it right. Yay. So now we learn about Lou Pearlman. Let me just say something. Lou Pearlman, because he was a terrible person and he's dead now and I can say whatever I want. (laughs) We speak ill of the dead here, you guys, especially when the dead is garbage. Oh, we have the bell. Oh, yeah, there she is. Lou Pearlman, we hear throughout these 90 minutes 
that he had this charm about him, that he can convince you that the sky wasn't blue, and he had, he looks like the most untrustworthy person. He's a slob. He's, yes. He has this air about him where, like, I don't want to be alone in the room with this guy. Like, he's such a creep on sight, and I'm just like, oh, because I'm not a good-looking guy. That's why I don't get the charm. Blue was just a charming, charming guy. It's the way he spoke to you. You know, he was very good with his words. He made you feel like you were the only person in the room. He was so into what you're, what's happening in your life. He asked the questions. And so that made you feel great, like someone cared. There is no video evidence of him being charming ever. They say it a million times. I honestly think it's these kids being like finding an excuse for being as like the dumb kids that they were. Exactly. And I'm sorry, like these guys are very smart and they didn't know any better. But like these kids who were all had been in the entertainment business didn't know enough to get con like proper contracts looked over by a lawyer. So, but we learn about Lou Pearlman. He had a house that was like Disneyland. He had the cars, the wave runners, the pool, the movie theater. He like related to them by acting like a kid. You got, I mean, this sounds awfully familiar. Sounds super familiar to yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> I could invite friends over. I remember Nick and I had a double birthday party at Lou's house. The pool party, we invited all of our friends. I'm like, we're going to go to this big mansion. It's me and my birthday party. That was me awesome. He was that inviting to all of us. He was always laughing. He was a big kid. He, he made himself more relatable to us, to me personally, by being this kind of grown-up kid. Can we just talk real quick about Diane Bass, Lance's mom? I mean, Diane, again, they are the Oprah and Gail of this movie. because uh-huh. like, She's in it a ton. Listen, I know that Lance is like from the South, I lo- and he's gay, and he came out, and that was a struggle for him. Sure. I was really happy to see that he has this like very cool, close relationship with his mom. They're adorable. Yeah, they are. Vi- and she's gorge, by the way. Andy Cohen, I want that reality show. Yeah, don't. Give me it. Or how about Lance Bass Productions? I want that reality totally. show. Totally. I would watch it. All right, so, so continue. Okay, Orlando, 1991. Let's paint a picture. Okay. They say that Orlando was considered the tourist capital of the world. And then somebody says, Orlando was like every place and no place at the same time. Lori from Teen People. I love her. Yeah. She says that. <laughs> I have that quote written down too. It's odd that Orlando was the, was the breeding ground, but it actually kind of makes sense. There are a lot of theme parks. There are a lot of young entertainers who go down there to be Aladdin or whatever. It's like Hollywood, but you can, you can afford it. So you have this amazing cattle of artists and singers. And then here comes this guy, Lou Pearlman, auditioning and looking for a boy band. So Lou, at first he used to like flip jets. Basically, like, people flip houses. He would, like, get these planes and then make them nice and then, like, lease them to pop and rock stars. Look, we get get a moment with New Kids on the Block, which, again, my wheelhouse. One of the bands that chartered his airplane was... And I was just questioning, how could these kids afford an airplane? And I was told, these kids... Did two hundred million dollars in record sales and eight hundred million in touring and merchandising. I was like, I'm in the wrong business. New Kids like was like the biggest group that leased one of these jets. Totally. And he's like, who are these like ragamuffins? So he literally says like, I'm in the wrong business. He switches gears. He's like, screw these jets. Yeah. I'm making boy bands. Which is just like, like it's a, easy. Like, I know. But then then it kind of is easy. <laughs> like the Legally Blonde where it's like, I think I'll go to Harvard today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, what yeah. he does. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then we see Dave Holmes, the VJ from the 90s. Yeah. He is one who gives us the breakdown of the boy bands. Right. A boy band is usually five, sometimes three, never four, for some reason, unless somebody leaves. Usually no instruments, uh, sort of club tracks that would have been huge in Europe a few years before, some involved choreography. All five members have five distinct personalities. They just had incredible charisma, you know? And a 13-year-old girl will lose her mind. So then we hear the story of, like, how the Backstreet Boys got signed. They got signed first. Right. I love, too, that Lance was, like, the last one to get signed. And this is when we start to hear that, like, these boys all lived in a house. And, like, Lou Pearlman picked Lance up at the airport in a Rolls Royce and then drives him to the house. And then they all start singing the Star Spangled Banner together? So I arrive at the house where the guys lived. All five of us sang the Star Spangled Banner. And I remember looking at everyone's faces after we had stopped singing. And everyone's, like, jaw was dropped. And everyone had goosebumps on them and I remember thinking oh my gosh I think I might have made the group it just sounded 
right. And we just started high-fiving each other like this is the guy. Like this is our next member. We were in sync. Five, six, seven, eight, boy band. <laughs> it's just so weird. Again, like the idea that I would ever let my teenage child go live in a house with a whole bunch of other boys with this like creepy overlord but, paying for everything. But the money. I I know. I know. But the I money. know. So Lou Pearlman was like the creator and kind of manager of both NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys and was pitting these two bands that he created yeah. against each other. But at the time, it was like no competition. It was like the Backstreet Boys were everything. And, and like, they came first. And NSYNC just couldn't get a following. There's this amazing video that Lance Bass's mother has of being on a bus with the NSYNC boys. And she's, she's like making fun of them for like wanting their, like pretending that there's fans following the bus. Justin Timberlake gets pissed. He sounds like a yokel. <laughs> this, this whatever like cultural appropriation accent he's been doing for yeah. the last several years <laughs> is not. He's like, look over yonder, y'all. I see some people over there. They're pretending like they have fans chasing. No, the they're, they're still out there. For real, look out there. It's time for oh, real. Okay. okay. I'm serious. With that. No, look out there. Like, see them? No. Oh. Here's some. Here's some. Two, four, five. And I'm like. <laughs> Is that Justin goddamn Timberlake? I know. Nobody sure is. is more horrified by that than Justin goddamn Timberlake. That's why he's not in this yeah, documentary. Lance, Lance would be like, girl, answer for this. <laughs> and don't do the fake accent. We know you're from the South. Just speak like you really speak. Speak like your mother and my mother. Okay? So basically, Lou Perlman was creating like a boy band factory. Uh, actually, in a warehouse. Yeah, for real. Because he would find these kids that had like promise and talent, but like they needed to learn how to dance. They needed to learn how to dance and sing. He'd find all these boys with like charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. Yeah. <laughs> and he would get them all the lessons they needed. And the thing is, they they both tell the stories, and these are a couple years apart because the Backstreet Boys came first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they were super famous, and then NSYNC came. But they all have the same stories. We were working our asses off day in and day out. Lou had these gondola hangers for his airships. No air conditioning in there. It was hot as balls. We would learn how to dance. We'd do choreography, and we would learn how to sing on a microphone without being out of breath. Probably rehearse six to eight hours a day in there. I'm surprised none of us ever got heat stroke. You're talking Orlando, Florida in August. But it formed the bond. And also, somebody else says, like, these kids just wanted it. They wanted it They bad. wanted it real bad. But the money. But the money. But the yeah, money. I know, I know. And somebody says, like, we definitely started feeling like a family. As repetitive and as annoying as it gets, it was fun. You know, I'm with four guys that are like my brothers and doing music, so. And our lives were paid for. Mm-hmm. To them, these young kids, it was a great deal. Right. Lou would step in as a father figure if a lot of them, there were a, a number of them that either had just lost their dad or their yeah. dad wasn't around and Lou, like, how perfect, how convenient, stepped in. And they would talk about all these, like, family dinners they would go, and we'd see videos of them, like, all out at, like, fancy restaurants and <laughs> the families are there. Lance goes, food was a big part of Lou's life. I, I was like, ooh, I'm loving Loving I you know. in the shade, Lance. So even AJ from the Backstreet Boys is like, what I did learn is like the business of hustling. They went to yeah. every radio station. They did every interview. They would knock on the doors of these like little small town radio stations and yeah. get put themselves out there. These boys did the work. So when you look back on it, like the stamina and the motivation you have to have to really be doing this is unbelievable. But so now we're seeing like the Backstreet Boys are getting so big and this blew my mind. Right. When we learn, people were calling MTV and demanding to see these videos played over and over and over again to the point that MTV had to invent TRL. TRL. They had to invent it. The boy bands made people watch MTV all day long. They made them call TRL. And the boy band thing made girls just stand in the middle of a busy street in New York City and just yell at a window. And like maybe there was somebody on the other side of that window. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe it was the guy mopping the floor. But they would just go and scream because Nick Carter had been there. So at this point in the documentary, the Backstreet Boys are like the hottest band. They've got all these top 10s and top 20s and the singles are all over the charts. They're selling out stadiums. Right. And like Lori from Team People is like, when NSYNC came out, they looked ridiculous. I- like, <laughs> like Backstreet Boys had more of like a more polished look. Even it was grayscale and dark blue. You know, it was a little yeah. darker. And then NSYNC, I mean, the photos they have, they look like they're just as clowns without the makeup. It's, it's true. It's bright and very like, they, it just looks amateur. And they had on these like overalls, these jean looking outfits. They sort of match. I was like, who are these clowns, you know? And then they started to perform. 
and sync blew me away. What they say is that Backstreet Boys were really focused on like the harmonies. Mm-hmm. The NSYNC Boys were much more focused on like the performance of it all. Yeah. Like the choreography and like the look, the showmanship of it. And it's true. You're, it's absolutely right. Oh, here we go, you guys. So oh here my God. we go. So- I was so excited to, I didn't know anything. Did you know this? Yes. Oh my God. Okay. So the Backstreet Boys passed on this Disney performance. I'll never forget. It was this Disney show, this Disney performance, and we were burnt out. And we were just like, we don't want to do it. They say they were exhausted. They say that they had been like, they'd been touring and traveling and like, we're just going to pass on this one. And if that was true, that's totally valid. Lou Pearlman had them in a sweltering warehouse for eight hours a day. Right. So NSYNC was like, we're super available. Yeah. <laughs> and the minute we said no, NSYNC said yes. NSYNC were all too happy to take Backstreet's sloppy seconds. Alright, we're NSYNC. Yes, 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 here we go. Listen, Lance's mom tells us this, because this is what the Disney Channel does. Yeah. They played this concert six times a day, daily, for like a year. It changed everything, you guys. The charts would come out, we're like, oh, there we go. There we go. There we go. Oh, it's happening now. And that's when the snowball kind of started rolling. We had gone from selling 5,000 units a week to 50 to 60,000 in the first week. Even now, the look on the Backstreet Boys' faces are like the regret they have for not doing this concert. Of course, but it's like Backstreet Boys. Like, I know. You guys were all fine. And so AJ from the Backstreet Boys is like, okay, just can we just like pause for a second? Fine, we gave up the, the concert. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's out there. But what he explains is like, this is a don't shit where you eat scenario. Lou Pearlman created the Backstreet Boys and then he created NSYNC. And he had Johnny Wright and his wife managing both of them. Yeah. It's just a conflict of interest. It 100% is. There's nothing good about Lou Pearlman. I was going to say like competition is good. Like it makes everybody work harder. But no, he didn't care. He just, he was in it for the money. He didn't care who made it. One of the most memorable things that Lou said to me was explaining the origins of NSYNC. And the way he, he framed it to me was, well... Where there's Coke, there's Pepsi, and somebody's going to come along and do the Backstreet Boys knockoff, so why shouldn't it be us? And he became like a reality show producer where he was pitting them against each other. Yeah. To the point where poor Lance was like, if we were at like a Grammy party, I was scared of the Backstreet Boys. I thought they'd beat me up. But like Lou would go to the Backstreet Boys and be like, these goddamn NSYNC kids, they're ungrateful. They're talking shit about you. They're horrible. And then turn around and do the same thing that NSYNC about the Backstreet Boys. It's so childish and stupid. So then Lance tells us NSYNC is blowing up. No one worked harder than NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. No one. These guys didn't get a day off. Never. And if they got a day off... I got them for a photo shoot. And that's how you get famous. Like, you do the work, right? Yeah. And you know what? When you're trying to be a famous rock star and you're 18, that's fine. I'm not mad about that. Right. And the boys weren't complaining about <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. And Lori, I work every day. <laughs> totally, exactly. <laughs> Why am I famous? You are, girl. <laughs> so Lance tells us that there's this whole, quote, check presentation. At this this fancy restaurant, Lowry's, that, that like Lou insisted on going to all the time. So the idea was that, like, they've never seen a dime. They're selling out stadiums. They've got number one albums, number one singles. They all just assumed that there would be a huge payday and Lou says that day's today, kids. And especially when he needs to make a presentation out of it. Right. Like he could just like do a direct deposit, but he has to make a big scene about it, so then you're like, how big is this check? Right, and and he invites not just the, the boys, but their family. So right. their moms are there, their fam- everyone's there, and everyone is like speculating about how much it's going to be. Because, you know, Lance's mom is like doing the math in her head, and she's like, At this time, they had sold over 10 million records. I was just kind of doing the math in my head, but I kept thinking, okay, if it's just a million dollars, divide it up by five, and Lance is going to get $200,000. Everyone is thinking this is going to be a life-changing sum of money. And they are so famous that I'm sure, like, Lowry's had to be shut down. They are right. the, they are the most famous people in the world right now. Yeah. If they if any one of them walked out of that restaurant and, like... I they mean, couldn't walk out of the restaurant without right. being mocked. Exactly. So they get to the dinner. The checks are on their on their plates. It's so ridiculous. The I know. fanfare of it all. I Just know. pay the kids. I know. And so, like, Lance t- takes us through the experience of opening his check. You start thinking in your head, like, what could it be? Is it six figures? Is it a million dollars? Like, what am I about to, like, fall into right now? My life is about to change. I open up the envelope, I see the check, and, oh my gosh, 
like my heart sunk and I, I couldn't believe the number I was looking at. They get a check for $10,000. 10000 They're the biggest band in the world. Which, $10,000 is a lot of money. Yeah. But not for the work they've been doing when they are so famous. Right. So famous that MTV had to create a show to deal with the demand yeah, of yeah. how many people needed to see their video three and a half minutes a day. They, they do the math and they say that it doesn't even work out to minimum wage. And we're told that like some of the guys, some of the, these guys who are the most famous people in the world couldn't pay their rent. They couldn't make their car payments. Right. And so Lance says he goes back to the hotel. He's like, I went back to the hotel and I tore the check up. I was like, damn, girl. And I was like, well, make your car payment first, Lance. <laughs> okay, God. Okay, hold yeah. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Just get like a, a couple hundred bucks, whatever you need for incidentals. Get some groceries. <laughs> but it, it must have been like, I thought it was a badass moment where he was like, no, no, no. I'm not taking any of this until I get everything I am owed. If, that if, we're all owed. So this is where I was so glad that they were going to let us like see every inch of these contracts. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, there must be a contract somewhere. Like, you must be getting paid what you agreed to be getting paid. So good old JC Chazé, (laughs) after all this time, three years into their fame and their world tour, gets his uncle to look at the contract. He's like, my uncle's a lawyer. And he's like, we didn't have any money to pay an attorney. So I had to go in the family and I'm like, you should have done that three years ago. But now that we're here, let's do it. And JC's like, at first it didn't, it wasn't so bad. He's like, oh, this is, this is pretty, uh, it's not that bad. You can, oh, oh, this is bad. (laughs) This is even worse. This is horrible. The deeper they dug, the worse it got. And it was just this webs upon webs of, Robbery. He said, this is one of the worst contracts I've ever seen in music history. Um, and y'all need to try to get out of this. And this is where we find out that Lou Pearlman had made himself a sixth member of the band. Right. And then Lou is lying to them saying like, no, 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 we're in debt. You're not going to see any money for a long time. And Lance is like, we all learned a new word that day. Yeah. And that's when we learned the word recoupable. Uh, that's a word that's never been in our vocabulary until this moment. And the lawyers were explaining to us, well, the reason you're in debt is because, you know, they spend this money on your record pressing. Then they, you know, you had this concert, the rent for the house. Oh, all those dinners, those lavish dinners that Lou was taking you to that you were thanking him for. That's your dinners. You were paying for it. Remember in First Wives Club where Sarah Uh Jessica Parker buys, like, the Corvette? Uh Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, but that's my money. I bought me the gift. Right. That was every (laughs) member of these boy bands being like, wait, we were fawning all over you and thanking you and thinking that we weren't spending a dime and, like, our our savings and livelihood was going to be okay. Yeah. And you accepted the thank you for dinner? Totally. When I watched a girl pass out and still kept dancing (laughs) for that money? Right. I was at the, I was doing this the 5 a.m. morning show in Kansas City. Right, right, right. And then the 5.15 morning show, the next station over. Right, in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> or wherever. The, I know they're not the same. That's the bit, everybody. The joke is that it was a lot. It was far away. <laughs> and what kind of trash monster do you have to be to be like, you're welcome, boys. I know. You're welcome. I know. Like, come on. But so once it became clear to Lou that the NSYNC boys were pissed and they were trying to get out of the contract, all of a sudden everything changed. And Lance says, It went from Jolly Lou to like, I don't give a fuck about you right now. And it was just like no smile the rest of the time I ever saw him. You guys, Lance curses. I know. He says it. He says the word. I know. I know. His mother had to block her ears for that part. Right. Someone who's like, oh my, like even to this day, he's like, I I said to myself, oh my gosh, I I trusted this person. And and then he's like, it went from all smiles to I don't give a fuck about you, Lance Bass. And I'm like, yes. So now we're sitting down with Lance and her mother, uh-huh. and it's the it's like Oprah Gale conversation. I love it. It's actually kind of like jarring because Lance is telling the story about like not only was Lou Perlman saying it was going to be the end of the group, mm-hmm. but we had management was telling us that we had the record label telling us that we everyone around us was saying Mm-mm, Lou's Lou's going to win. Like y'all have nothing. And even uh, I remember we sat down. I think it was in New York at that table, our first mediation. Lou on one side, we're on the other, and we had Strauss Zelnick right in the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, our boss. And he just looked at us and said, you might have one more album in you, side with Lou. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my heart was broken. The label is taking Lou's side? Nobody had their back. Because try to remember like what era this was of the NSYNC career. Uh-huh. This is going to sound silly, but I think it's it's important. So like No Strings Attached was their biggest album. That was after all of this. Right. So they're still in the I Want You Back, still in that like uh-huh. that, uh, that first album. So the management is like, this boy band thing, it's got to be over soon. So can you imagine like no one, your kids, you have stars in your eyes, you're promised the world. Uh-huh. And then like all of the adults in the room 
room aside from your parents, they're not even not siding with you. They're act. They're like rooting against you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. one album left in you. I know. And the Lance's We're mother side with this slob. Like I know. what? <laughs> well, Lance's mother says suddenly there was nothing jolly about him. <laughs> and and uh, Justin Timberlake's mom was like, "I wanted to kill him. We all wanted to kill him. Kill him. I'm saying that word. We wanted to kill him. We wanted to murder Lou Pearlman." I mean, Lou was always so positive. You know, um, we believed everything he said. It was it was fun to be around. But then on this other side. You didn't know who he was. I mean, who was Lou Perlman? We didn't know. So now we can, we're going to go through this quickly, but we get like the Lou, because they're like, who even was Lou Perlman? And exactly we, that. He showed you his true colors at that mediation thing. That's right. who he is. End of story. And we, yeah, we get this backstory where he like grew up in Queens and he was like, didn't have any friends and he was obsessed with blimps. He loved blimps, you guys. It's the weirdest thing. He was obsessed with blimps. There's also this story, which is apparently like a quote, famous Lou story. It's a lie. Where he tells the story about like this kid had a paper route and he didn't want it and he tried to sell me his paper paper route for $500 and then instead of having one paper route Lou bought all these other paper routes and then entered into a deal with Dunkin Donuts he's supposed to be 8 years old in this story so he could deliver donuts in the newspaper and then like custom things this is also the beginning of Ashley Parker Angel spilling everyone's tea and airing everybody's dirty laundry because he tells this story (laughs) but I love it because he's like first of all he calls Dunkin Donuts brunch right Ashley (laughs) and he's (laughs) And he's like, so this story is so ridiculous. And then he says, he's like, so Lou says he started with with this business. He had all these newsies. He called them newsies. He says newsies. I know. Arise and seize the day. Customers can have their Sunday brunch delivered along with the Sunday paper. So now he's got this full-scale business of all these newsies in this conglomerate newspaper delivery service. Not only was he able to pay back the initial $500, with interest, but he also made this huge profit. Then we hear the guy whose paper route it was. He's like, total bullshit. I didn't sell him the paper route. He had nothing to do with the paper route. We didn't have the ability to sell paper routes. You can't just sell a paper route. What are you talking about? Can we tell the Jordash blimp story? Yeah, because this is about his fraud, so this is relevant. Yeah, yeah. So he is obsessed with blimps. He and his friend, what's his friend's name? Alan. He and his friend Alan, Alan. like, buy a blimp. You guys, we're talking about actual blimps. Like the MetLife blimps. Like the Goodyear blimp. blimp. Yeah. Yeah. They loved it. So that's like. (laughs) The look of confusion on your face is only rifled by the look of confusion on my face. Just like. Two guys loving blimps. <laughs> and the, they get Jordash to sponsor this blimp. And the, the whole idea is that this blimp with the Jordash logo is meant to like fly over this Jordash party somewhere. Yeah, it's like everyone at the party knows what Jordash is. Right. So they don't need the advertising. Right. When we have our TCO party, we're not flying a TCO blimp over no. it. No. No. And so the, instead of flying over the Jordash party, some, like a strong wind comes up. Blows the blimp off course and it crashes. Well, because the blimp was like 20 years past its prime, according to Alan. I was like, blimps have like prime blimping years? Like what? Good evening. It was billed as the ultimate weapon in the Great Jeans War. A spanking new blimp commissioned to flash the name Jordash. It ran afoul of gusting winds. Laced across the pine trees, the ship's helium bag painted with $50,000 worth of real gold. It was 16 or 17 years old, twice its useful efficiency, and it was showing its age. So on the day that it was supposed to fly up to New York for the Jordash party on October 8th, it was going to crash. Alan says he was like, he was deceiving everybody because he took an insurance policy out on this For thing. For $3 million. Knew it was going to crash. Yeah. And here, here we are at the producers where it's like, you make more with a flop than you can with a hit. <laughs> so he got this blimp that was falling apart, crashed the Jordash blimp. Hopefully no one got hurt. Took the $3 million and ran. And that's the whole thing. That's when he took the $3 bucks and he moves to Orlando. And he's like, well, now let's exploit some kiddos. Right. And here we are, and you guys. here we are. <laughs> We're, we did it, you guys. The end. <laughs> Orlando. <laughs> So now we're back to, like, the height of the boy bands. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so this is how, like, Lou Pearlman was always using something to leverage into some other fake thing. Uh-huh. But the thing is, like, NSYNC actually was really were super famous. And they really were super successful. Yeah. So he's like, okay, I know what I'll do. He uses, like, I'm the guy who created these to, like, convince these naive people to invest, like, the last of their savings. And these people who literally are, like, with their last pennies to their names invest in, like, Lou Pearlman's company. It's Transcontinental Airlines. Yeah. We'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. So 
So back to NSYNC trying to get out of this contract with Lou Pearlman. They go to court. And it's this really funny moment where like... I love this. This moment is amazing where like they're in front of this lady judge and it's like all the NSYNC boys on the right side and Lou Pearlman and like the label on the left side. And Lance's mom is like, they were so cute in their suits. Well, I even love the fake drawing. They had like the bad hair. Like Lance is like, I know what we looked like in 1999. Okay, I'm not going to run from it. He sued us for our name. He said he was NSYNC because he owned the name. And uh, it was a $150 million lawsuit, I believe. And again, remember, we'd only gotten paid $10,000. We might lose our label deal. Who knows? Like, this this could be the end of it. That judge uh, looked at us, looked at Lou, and said, so you, sir, are saying that you are in sync, and these five guys who my daughter has their poster on her wall is not in sync. She's like, that doesn't make sense. And she sided with us. She let us out of that contract. And it's over. They win. They're free. Right. And then we get the Backstreet Boys version. And they, they were like, we did it a little bit differently. Right. Because he was also one-sixth of that band. They're like, we just took a sixth of everything we had and put it in an escrow account. And then we went to court. And when we won, we gave him his payout of his sixth. And we were done. Yeah. And then AJ's like, so Lou was no more. Like, ending that <laughs> chapter of the book. Close it. Let's go. But then we hear from Lance talking about, like, the NSYNC boys are in London. And, like, they have a new album coming out. And it's their first album that they're writers on. On. Free. Yeah, and they're they're like trying to figure out a name for it. And I remember Chris was like, "Oh, I, I got no strings on me." You know, there's no you know, that Pinocchio thing. And I'm like, "No strings attached," and it was just born right there in the taxi cab. You guys. <laughs> When this album came out, according to Lance, he's like, by George, I think I've got it. Let's call it No Strings Attached. Take credit for it, girl. Take credit for it. In the middle of London. If Justin Timberlake's not going to do your movie, you take the credit for the name. Justin Timberlake (laughs) was not coming up with the name of this album. I'm so sorry. The whole theme of that album, I mean, it's called No Strings Attached, but the the whole thing was like marionettes. Even their live performances were literally cutting the strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Lou must have been fuming. (laughs) They threw it back in his face so hard. Like, yeah. Bye 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 is not about a relationship with a with a, with a a lady friend, you guys. Right. It's about Lou Pearlman. Right, 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 right. Exactly. So now there's a whole section in here about Lou Pearlman's inappropriate sexual behavior with the boy bands. Mm-hmm. And there's a question about, like, is Lou gay? Is he not? And Lance has this kind of cool moment where he's like, look, I was in the closet. Mm-hmm. I just assumed he was in the closet, too. Like, we kind of, like, looked each other in the eye and sort of had that in common. Uh-huh. But then we hear these, like, really terrible stories about, like, Lou Pearlman asking the Ashley Parker Angels to take their shirts off so he could see their abs under the guise of, like, wanting to make sure that everybody's in shape. By the way, the whole time he was very good at playing on your desire to be successful. And he would say things to me like, you know, you're the Justin Timberlake. You know, you're the Nick Carter. But you got to stay in shape, man. He takes it another step further and says, I minored in physical therapy in college. I can give your muscles a pump without you even working out. Come here, let me rub your muscles. So then it kind of starts turning into this weird massage. And Ashley says something that really makes me annoyed because this happens, and again, this story sounds very familiar. Apparently, people were warning the boys about this behavior. Warning them, but doing nothing to stop it. And, you know, then we cut back to Aaron Carter, who obviously is not well, and he is defending Lou Pearlman. He's yelling. He's offended. He screams to the camera. My opinion of Lou being a sexual predator is that that is not true. That is so foul. He would come up to you and he'd teach you how to do push-ups. He taught me how to do diamond push-ups so I could build my chest. And he's a pedophile? Shut up about that, guys. It is so jarringly, like, this is a person who's in pain. Like, he's not doing well. He's not. And it's so different from everybody else. Like, he won't even say, like, yeah, he scammed us out, but if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have had any success. Right. He doesn't even say that. No, he's, like, a full-on defender. Yeah. And then we hear this insane story about the the kid that was the lead singer of that band, LFO. This is when, and you guys, we're hearing all these stories from Ashley Parker Angel. She yeah, is, the tea is scalding. <laughs> and she says as much. She's like, I feel like I could tell this story about something horrible that didn't happen to me because Rich went on Howard Stern and Hold it himself, you guys. And then, of course, we hear fucking Howard Stern. Can we get a bell for her? Yeah, we. He, I think we hear Howard Stern go, "Oh." And then yeah. so, the, so this is going back and forth between Ashley Parker Angel telling the story, and then a little bit of audio from Rich on the Stern. Yeah, he tells me that Lou basically comes in, and he's all worked up, and he's like, "You know, I got this big opportunity for you guys in Europe." He's punching his table. He's act, really acting good. He goes. 
This could be the make it or break it moment for LFO. This guy over in Europe who has this big recording company, he goes, all he wants to do is touch your penis. Oh. And I don't know what happens after that. Just pretty much touch your penis and, you know, play with it. That's how they do business over there. I don't want you to get freaked out. We got to do what's right for the band. And so I'm going to let you practice on me so that we don't go over there and blow this deal. And guess what else? In college, I was a psychology minor. I'm going to help you get through it mentally. He goes, well, think about it, guys. Don't say this. Don't you fucking tell anyone. It's just horrifying. So now we're back in Orlando. It's 2003. Like, this is two years after No Strings Attached. Like, everyone's moved on. Uh Uh-huh. And Lou is grasping at straws. He's buying TCBY, Chippendales. You guys, he buys Chippendales, case closed, end of story. He buys, Chippendales is like the the male strippers. Of course. He buys them. He buys them. Yeah. You guys, come on. (laughs) And remember what we were talking about before about this transcontinental thing where he's scamming all these people in like retirement in their like twilight years to give all their money to a fake company? Exactly. This is how Lou Pearlman gets arrested. So what happens is that like all of a sudden the FBI is on him and he's been scamming people out of millions and millions, like hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And it was clear that our case was not going to just be a bank fraud case, but that there was going to be an investment fraud case. And we were looking upwards of over $100 million. Lou wasn't a dumb guy. He was a smart fellow. And I think he knew that the writing was on the wall and the sooner he got out of town, the better. Everything started crumbling around him. He's running a Ponzi scheme, and the FBI's on him, and he literally flees the country. Yep. He gets on a plane, and I didn't, I did not realize this is where this story was going. All of a sudden, he's like an international fugitive. Uh-huh. Finding him was like an international game of hide and seek. There had been sightings around in Europe. He's in Panama. Or he's here. He's there. We would get some leads, but oftentimes they were more just predictions of where people thought he might be. Nobody knows where he is. And just this goes on for years. Years. Oh, three years. Yeah. <laughs> Like decades, where it was just like you've on and on and on. There was, he was a, missing. There was a part of me that was like, "Is he still missing?" I didn't know what happened. No, he's dead. Yeah. Well, you guys, what happens is this reporter who I'm obsessed with, she starts writing about him and how he's like on the lamb and some reader of hers from Bali writes her an email and he's like, girl, Lou Pearlman is like at the next table. He's right here. He's right here. So she calls the FBI. The FBI hops on a plane to Bali. This is my favorite part. When the agent showed up in Bali, they thought to themselves, well, it's early. Let's go get breakfast. They just got need nourishment for the for the job they're gonna do. They're very hungry. It's been a very long flight from the states. They, they gotta they gotta find a restaurant. They probably for breakfast. got delayed in customs. It's been a day. <laughs> Let me just ah, uh, I just need a little quick brunch. They didn't get that hot towel mm-hmm. that you sometimes get mm-hmm. off an international flight. Well, the place they happened to pick was the place where Lou Pearlman was eating breakfast. Meanwhile, the tourist is getting a little frustrated and ends up sending Scott a picture of Pearlman eating breakfast. They go to the breakfast restaurant where Lou Pearlman is having breakfast. They don't know he's there. Then, from the restaurant, the guy who emailed the the reporter lady is getting frustrated waiting for the FBI to show up. like, why haven't you arrested the boy band guy yet? He takes a picture of Lou Pearlman and the FBI guys are in the background. I mean, they it's one of the, they're so close that when you get up to go to the bathroom, you have to make sure you don't hit that yeah. table. <laughs> you know, like when you pull totally. your chair out, that's how close they totally. are. It's crazy. It was really a fortuitous event for us. Pearlman didn't raise any issues. And at that point, we were off and running in terms of our criminal case moving forward. They arrest him on the spot. He goes without a fight. Yeah. I mean, because at this point, he's like, okay. Yeah. yeah, What's he going to do? Run? (laughs) The jig is up, girl. It is. So he gets brought back to the United States to stand trial. And we meet the judge. And the judge is like, we had to do his trial in the biggest courtroom we had. Because all of the people whose savings he scammed showed up at the trial. I sentenced him to the maximum of 25 years. Which I believe at the time was either the longest or close to the longest sentence for any fraud case. And then all of a sudden it came to me, I saw all these angry people in the courtroom, and I said, Mr. Perman, I'll tell you what I'll do. For every million dollars that you pay back to these people in the courtroom, I'll give you a month off. And we don't know how much he ever gave back. Yeah, because he goes to jail, and he's basically dead a week later. Because the thing is, and Johnny Wright, the manager of both Backstreet and InSync, he says... Wait a second. The thing is, the bands were incredibly lucrative and incredibly successful. Where is the money? Johnny Wright and his wife, right. they are convinced that it's buried in the Bahamas. Because yeah, who yeah, would yeah. go off to the Bahamas yep. and suddenly like everyone would get paid that following Friday? Yep, and somebody says... Trust me, there, there's one person that knows where Lou hid the money. 
There has to be. And that person is being very smart because that man hid money all over the world. You know what my thought is? It's Aaron Carter. I think Aaron Carter knows where the money is. Yeah, because Aaron Carter is defending this guy to the end. We see Aaron Carter at the end, like he's sobbing and he's saying. Like, I'm looking at that slate right now. It says Blue Perlman Project. And it's just so sad. It's just, it just hurts, man. It hurts to see people attack him and continuously attack him because I go through the same thing. I'm going through it right now. He was a gummy bear. I gotta take a break for a second, guys. All right? Yeah, I, I just need to. I know, I just give me a second. Aaron Carter needs a break. Everyone needs, production needs to stop. He Aaron needs Carter a needs a break. Yeah. And so, like, Lou Perlman, like, we get, like, this audio of him from prison just saying, like, he was framed. He's just, like, really trying to defend himself till the end. And it ends with, like, this on-screen text just saying how successful the, the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were, like, even after the fact. Yeah, because they're saying that, like, the NSYNC Boys, like, their week one album sales record, like, lasted for 15 years. Backstreet Boys, they still tour and sell out stadiums. Yeah. That is incredible. The NSYNC Boys don't, but, like, the Backstreet Boys still tour in sellout stadiums. It made me so happy. Yeah, and it ends like during the credits of people like reading quotes from Lou. Oh, oh, that's right. And Nikki reads some quote about basically saying like, I just prefer boys. Right, exactly. And then there's a quote that AJ McLean from Backstreet Boys is reading about how Lou's like, I- I'm very trustworthy. Everyone reads these contracts. Everyone knows what's going on. AJ McLean, he cackles with <laughs> laughter and he goes, Well, that's bullshit. End, end of movie. da da Oh, we did it. It was so nice to not be talking about murder for for once. Well, you know, funny you should say so. Lou Pearlman's lawyer also defended Casey Anthony. Just saying. Oh my God, we didn't even get into that. And then Lou Pearlman defrauded his own lawyer. And the lawyer's like, I can't really say this on air. I wanted to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> I hated him. He's like, I'm, I'm laughing about it now. I hated him. Did you like talking about the boy bands? I loved it. Yeah, it was I a loved fun it. one. I'm going to listen to them on the way home. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Don't forget, you guys, tickets are now on sale for our Toronto show in September and our Maura Murray live show at the Bell House in Brooklyn in October. You can get info and tickets at truecrimeobsessed.com slash cslive. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. At the $5 level, you get 80 episodes covering like everything from The Staircase to Making a Murderer, The mm-hmm. Jinx, Lorena, and Serial Season 1. Yes. It's the, you guys, there's so much stuff we can't even remember. At the $7 level, you get our after party and ringtones. Mm-hmm. You get like Jillian's breaking news. You get like the, the ballad version and the rock star version of our theme song. I want to hear all the stories of you in like important meetings. Yeah. Or like <laughs> <laughs> in a place where you have to be re- like a doctor's waiting room or something. Totally. Where our either theme song or my stupid voice. <laughs> Breaking news. Comes like full volume from your bag or your pocket. <laughs> I need all those stories, you guys. Uh, you guys at the $10 level, you get ad-free versions of these episodes. We love you. We love you. Girl, what are we doing next? We are doing All the Queen's Horses. Yeah, we just watched the trailer for this. We've gotten so many requests for this. Yeah, I think it's just like a bitchy rich lady who scams people I, and I then gets dragged for it. Yeah. So I'm Good. That's going to be really fun. We're going to be A-OK with yes. this one. We got it. Girl, where can they find us? TrueCrimeObsessed.com is our gorgeous website where you get actually like all your TCO needs. Yep. Anything you could possibly think of is there. We're at True Crime Obsessed on Twitter and um, at True Crime Obsessed Podcast on Instagram. Where can they find you? I'm at Jillian with a G on all the things. I'm at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram, at Patrick Hines on the Twitter. You guys, our palate cleanser this week is going to be from the new Broadway show Ain't Too Proud, which yes. is about the Temptations, like the original boy band. Yes. Uh, I'm so excited about that. So stay tuned for the trailer for All the Queen's Horses, our hilarious outtakes, TM, 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 and our palate cleanser. Yep. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for hanging out, you guys. Love you. Bye. Bye. She completely pulled the wool over her town's eyes. Do you think you were just smarter than everybody else, Rita? 53 plus million dollars is just unbelievable. She lived quite a life, totally different life than what she portrayed here. By day, she's wearing municipal clothes, and by night, she's dripping with jewels and furs. World champion, Rita Crundwell. She had this grand, high-stakes horse empire. My first thought was, Dixon has that much money that you could embezzle that much money from a little tiny place like this? People just trusted her so well, more than anything. Rita, how did you go to bed and not think, whose lives I'm infecting here? 
one of the things the FBI wanted to find out was, did she do this alone? Was she hiding for somebody else? For 20 years, I worked side by side with this woman, and I never knew her. I never really knew her. mention that the one thing that wasn't garbagey about Lou Perlman, he had an old-fashioned vending machine that was always stocked with Yoohoo. I love Yoohoo. And I don't, apple juice. Yeah. I don't know if you know this about me, but Yoohoo's my go-to beverage. My dad loves Yoohoo, too. I, lo I love a Yoohoo. Really? It has to be very cold. If it's not cold, then what the hell are we doing here? <laughs> a nice New York bagel with some Yoohoo? Come on now. <laughs> They, he would get these kids with all these all this uniqueness, nerve, wait, uniqueness, charisma, nerve, and talent. Uh -huh. Is that right? No. Charisma, uniqueness, yeah. nerve, and talent. He would find all these, like, boys with, the, like, create... Charisma. Charisma. Okay. He'd find all these boys with, like, people were calling MTV and demanding to see these videos played over and over and over again to the point that MTV had to invent Total Recall Live. Request. Request total recall. Had to invent. Had to request total. They had to invent total re TRL. TRL. Show. It was the Mickey Mouse Club and Kids Incorporated. Um. K. I. D. S. O. Looks like we made it. We're Kids Incorporated. <laughs> K. I. D. S. O. You know the Kids Incorporated theme, but you don't know how to say NSYNC. <laughs> well, again, showing the generational gap. <laughs> NSYNC. Who are these Backstreet fellas? <laughs> Baby, if it keeps you from walking out. 